0: Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth. I'm a marathoner, coach, and answer seeker. When I first started running at the age of 29, I had so many questions and what felt like nowhere to turn to for answers. And now I'm here to answer all your running questions about anything that you might want to know. If you're a new runner or you've been doing this for a long time, there's always something more to learn about running. So let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm super excited for this week's episode. My guest is Stevie Lynn Smith, returning guest. She's a sports dietitian and was on the show last year talking about how to train for back-to-back marathons or back-to-back Ironmans or back-to-back races and what you can do to recover in between those two hard efforts. Um, But this week, she is back to talk about sports nutrition marketing. You are being marketed to every second of every day, pretty much. And every company is trying to sell you something with their specific hook. Some sports nutrition companies are gonna use You know, popular figures to advertise their product. Some companies are going to use a specific ingredient or claim to advertise their product. Here's the thing. I actually am a fan of some products that have very questionable, in my mind, marketing. This isn't to say products are good or bad, but merely to examine the claims that are being made when those products are being marketed to you. And Stevie is here to help us kind of discuss what it is that we're seeing when we look at some of these claims, how to critically evaluate the claims that different companies are making, and and what you should be looking for when you are choosing sports nutrition products that work for you specifically. So if you have questions about products that claim to be sugar-free and yet still advertised towards endurance athletes, if you have questions about how electrolytes can be marketed towards improving your energy without the crash, those are all things that we are talking about today. Stevie Lynn Smith, welcome back to the show. Really excited to have you here again. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me back on. So please reintroduce yourself for those of our listeners who are unaware of how who you are and how awesome you are. You were a guest back on the show last season, but this is your season three appearance, so what's up?
1: Yeah. So for those who don't know me, I'm Stevie Lynn Smith. I'm a registered dietitian. I'm board certified in sports nutrition. I've been practicing, oh man, 11 years now. So in my 11th year of practice, I feel like I graduated yesterday, um... I have my Bachelor's of Science in Dietetics and Nutrition from SUNY Buffalo State, and my Master's in Applied Nutrition with a Sports and Fitness concentration from Northeastern University. I have my own private practice, very uniquely named Stevie Lynn Nutrition. We kept it really easy peasy there. and besides kind of the boring stuff right just kidding we love science we love learning um i am also an endurance athlete i've done 10 full ironmans um 10 kilometer open water swims lots of marathons a 50 miler many half ironmans basically i had a lot of friends who said who wants to do this race sure i'll do it so you name it i've probably done it so I've been doing. I I did my first marathon in 2009, first Ironman in 2012. So have also been in the endurance sports game for a while. And I got a really cute dog. (laughs) The most important part can never leave him out.
0: Dog mom,
1: (laughs) very important. He manages. He's managing right behind me right now. So last time you we were on the show, we
0: talked about running back to back marathons, right? Running 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 two or not even marathons, but two large endurance events relatively close together and getting your perspective as a dietitian. Something that you specifically did was you worked with Shaleen Flanagan when she ran was it six marathons? Uh, yes. Within how many months
1: back of the uh, years ago? It was six weeks. Yes. Yeah. Post- wow. When yeah. we were coming off COVID and all of the major marathons were all rescheduled. Yeah. So all the travel too.
0: (laughs) All the travel. And so you have a wealth of knowledge, not only personally, professionally as a dietitian, but working with athletes of the highest caliber in this performance space. And today we're going to tackle a topic that I think we definitely haven't really talked about in the show explicitly. We're talking about sports marketing in the nutrition space. Uh, and how you, as an athlete, can be an informed consumer of products, how you can learn to cut through BS, how you can learn to identify when you are being marketed to in a pseudoscience-y way, and how you can fill up your educational cup to help make the best nutrition and fueling decisions, and probably hopefully the most cost-effective decisions, too. What don't you need to buy uh, to help fuel your training? Um, as a dietitian and as an endurance athlete yourself, tell me about some of the trends you've noticed in sports nutrition marketing over the recent past and, and things that you have noticed changing in the past decade.
1: Yeah, and I sometimes reflect upon this because when I did my first marathon Ironman, that 2009 to 2012, there weren't many options when it came to sports nutrition right? It was kind of like, okay, there's power power perform sports drink on the course. And this is my only option. So this is what I'm going to train with. And I think there was only like three gel options out there. None of the bars that we see, like none of like honey singer waffles, an example, or goo waffles, none of the alternatives, not many chews. I think actually I use sport beans because there was like not cliff blocks, nothing like that. <laughs> so Which being young, it was kind of like, I think it was good for me because it was like, okay, I know I have to fuel, right? So I was in dietitian school, as I call it, when I started endurance sports. And I was like, okay, I know this is important. You know, I didn't necessarily learn sports nutrition, but, you know, put two and two together, figured it out. And then you just didn't have a lot of choices. So you just learned how to do it. Like, we don't love it. It's what I call business feeding or business fueling. It's not out of enjoyment it's out of necessity because we enjoy participating in these sports and races so i think on one hand it was positive in that light but also now in current times over the years having a lot of products from sports drinks rehydration beverages recovery beverages and options And even just when you get a little bit more nitty-gritty, different gels and chews and semi-solid options, it's really, really nice. It's a luxury, actually, I think. Because then, especially like with long races, of course, you can read all these great sports dietitians' infographics on the internet as to how you fuel your races, but there is also kind of that personal preference where whether you work with a dietitian one-on-one or you figure it out on your own, I always like to take an account especially when we're thinking ultra races, Ironman, ultra marathons, Th- things like texture fatigue and flavor fatigue, having different kind of tools in the toolbox. So when you're at mile 18 in an Ironman marathon, or even a regular marathon, you're like, I literally can't stomach another gel. Oh, but I know I like these chews and I've trained with these chews and I know I need to get some more carbs and sodium in. So I'm going to have my chews and set. So it's, it having these products gives the athletes a lot of different tools in their toolkit but then as you mentioned there's so much overwhelm there's so many to choose from and how do you know which to
0: choose right i'll throw back even further so my father is an endurance cyclist and he was he trained and, and raised pretty seriously in the 90s and so as a young child like i remember going to the bike shop with him and they had this like one sad lonely rack of goo. This is like 1995, right? And like I, you know, and so and I swam competitively growing up. So like I, for me, power bars were like always in my swim bag. These like tar textured like the bricks <laughs> of like you know and so when yep. I was growing up it was sport fuel was like this you know these like sa- like it was kind of exotic and fun to be like ooh these are special nutritional things that we use when we're exercising um but that was kind of it it was like Gatorade goo and power bars yes. and um, I still have vivid memories of me like eating like you know being like half wet sitting on a you know gym bleachers at like this at the pool and like eating a nasty old power bar between uh (laughs) between my events um thank god things have changed but with great choice comes great complexity because the marketing right when you have so many companies competing for your dollars they're going to start to make some claims in some cases that are how do we preying on your fears and your weaknesses as an athlete So what are some things that you see in marketing, right, that
1: are red flags for a consumer? Yes. And I'm going to 100% just kind of throw a little disclaimer here. Um, This is thinking to the average runner, triathlete, cyclist, endurance athlete, There are so many nuances when it comes to sports nutrition. This isn't someone dealing with certain medical conditions or anything very specific, but just generally the endurance and even active population. Because I like to say active individuals, because if you're working out, cycling, running five days a week, even if you don't have a finish line, you're an athlete. But we have a lot of minds at (laughs) work to identify, but you're also included in this bunch. So some of my big red flags Um keto, uh low sugar, no sugar, avoid the sugar crack. Um looking at oh low glycemic clean. Clean there's no dirt in your gel. (laughs) There's no dirt in there. I hope not. No (laughs) bugs. Bug free. Bug free, (laughs) right? I hope there's no dirt in the gel that they make. Um those are some of the biggest kind of buzzwords that I see, or I think I already said low, no, I said gluten-free, low carb, low sugar, anything that's kind of making these purported health claims that this is a healthy product for you. Um, This is something that's going to be all real food ingredients, all natural. Those are some of the, the really, really big, big ones that tend to be a product That is, like you said, preying on your fear, thinking, you know, you need to absolutely have the, air quotes, cleanest source of energy. That's not actually true, right? And it makes people afraid of all of these great sports nutrition products that we talked about that are literally designed to be used by your body metabolically, physiologically, how your body prefers to use fuel, like it is designed so your body you can ingest it and your body is gonna use it for that energy you need quickly at mile sixteen in your marathon. So it's gonna work exactly like you want it to. And they're gonna have the carbohydrates concentrations and kind of some of those ratios, sodium, carbs, what type of carbohydrates designed specifically so your body uses it efficiently. Like these are these are like an L U just to make it real easy for us to succeed out there.
0: (laughs) I think it's interesting when I see sports marketing products, and and I think we're talking about kind of the, all of the products that are encompassed under the marketed towards, as you said, active individuals, Mm -hmm. right? And obviously this being the Running Explained podcast, we're geared primarily towards endurance runners, although you may also be a triathlete, cyclist, whatever it is. Um, But so we're talking about things that are uh, marketed towards you or designed for in run right intra run or intra workout fueling products you will take during your run that are supposed to give you so carbohydrate based products also can encompass things like electrolyte based products so things that are intended to you know give you sources of electrolytes with or without carbohydrates and then there are we'll also talk kind of about kind of what I call like the periphery of products those things that are marketed towards you as like pre-workout supplements or or those types of things that technically would fall under I think the sports nutrition category even though they're not not technically food or fuel. Um, one of the big things for me that pisses me off to no end is when I see a product marketed towards endurance athletes that promises sustained energy without the sugar crash or the sugar high or the something or other. So the, the product is offering me sustained energy right, without the sugar. And it's funny when you think about that and say, how are you how are you providing me energy without sugar because mm-hmm. unfairly i think sugar has gotten a really bad rap <laughs> and it's very very trendy these days to blame everything on sugar just like back in the 90s blame everything on fat i think it's important to remember that marketing is based on cultural trends as well and think it's very trendy right now to market things as low sugar or low carb or low glycemic index, right? Limiting the amount of sugar. But as you said, when we are exercising, when we are training, when we are running, our body's preferred source of fuel is sugar. Whether it comes from a carrot or a goo, it's sugar <laughs> and we mm-hmm. need it, right? Yes. And so we shouldn't be afraid of this and I, I we shouldn't be Um, I think it's important to look critically at claims from sports nutrition companies marketing those types of things to us and ask ourselves, what are they actually
1: trying to sell me? 100 percent and i mean you nailed it right there right so when we're thinking especially because like you said this whole you know without the sugar crashed low carb low sugar again carbohydrates are going to be broken down to sugar eventually whether you're looking at from like something that's slowly oxidized basically slow oxidation just means it's going to take longer for your body to break it down to glucose if it's usually i see in these products that are saying like avoid the um energy crash they're using some sort of starch they usually have it as their own tm (laughs) that's sometimes i'm not saying all the time but sometimes to me that's something when i see it on the label if they have it trademarked as their own kind of super starch or something of the like, that could be a little like, oh, let me dig deeper here. That's where my brain goes. So basically it's gonna start there. So that would be something we would call a polysaccharide. It'll get broken down to a disaccharide and then eventually broken down to a monosaccharide, such as glucose. The other monosaccharides are fructose and galactose. So monosaccharides, glucose, fructose, galactose. So eventually you are gonna get that super starch, that slow burn carbohydrate is going to be broken down to that same simple carbohydrate. But despite what the marketing claims say, there is a lot of research showing that these slowly oxidized or broken down carbohydrates potentially lead to more GI issues because it's going to stay in your system longer. When I'm thinking about intra-workout fuel, and even if we're grabbing pre-workout fuel right before you head out the door to run, I'm always telling people simple, easy to digest carbohydrates. The point of those intra and even just like in the 10 minutes before is you want your body to break them down quickly so they don't stay in that GI tract and cause stomach issues. We've all had that time. I've even had that time. I think I had like a handful of almonds an hour before I ran in one day. I know better, but I was just, you know, living life. And I got out there and I was like, oh, I know better. <laughs> Mistakes were made. So when we're you know heading back to the actual point of this is that when they're marketing no sugar crash, it's also going against what we know physiologically for how our body is going to respond during exercise. So during exercise, your blood sugar shouldn't be perfectly stable. That's all right. Um, insulin is going to be suppressed during activity, but the body can has this ability to support this, right? The goal during exercise is to make sure our blood sugar isn't going too low, which is why you see most sports dietitians saying, all right, you're in a runner? All right, let's aim to eat every 30, 35-ish minutes, give, and t- give or take on the athlete so we're keeping that blood sugar stable. So all of these claims that they come up with, not really sure your body wants that quick access um that quick energy from glucose and adding in you know when we're thinking about the super search you have two more steps to break it down to get to that glucose so it's going to take longer for your body to get the energy it wants and needs
0: i also think it's very interesting I mean, back to the whole like the marketing thing though. you are being mar- you know <clears throat> in the world we live in we are being marketed to every second of our lives we I think we all know at this point. Are you know we as consumers are commodities for big you know big businesses, right? They see us as people who we who will buy their products, and you know I think for a lot of companies to feel like they have to stand out in a in an increasingly crowded sphere, everybody has to have kind of a gimmick or a hook or a, a thing or a niche, right? And so if, if a new product comes out and says, oh, but I'm not like those other products, I'm a cool product because I don't have this, right? You know, it it's okay. And you know, this is not how you sell products. If I took like five things that I liked, I have a, I have a canister of, I have actually a crystal vase full of gels behind me right now. <laughs> It has like I have like five different products in there. I like them all, right? But if I were the head of marketing for one of those companies, it's my job to get my product to stand out and to sell you my product over somebody else's product, right? So how do I do that? I have to come up with a way to differentiate what my product does that is what I think better than what somebody else's product does. And so there are gonna be some people who are looking at products like and I'll um uh, never second energy gel, right? 30 grams of carbohydrate per gel for some people. That is the marketing hook. You want to get, I only have to care. One gel has 30 grams of carbs. Sign me up. Oh my God. Yes. But, but there are other people who are looking at different claims or different marketing tools like that low sugar claim or the, you know, low glycemic index claim or the gluten free claim. Right. And you're not a C, celi- you are not a you do not have celiac disease, right? that That is something that appeals to them. The problem is is that not all marketing hooks are equal. Yes. And I think that's a real challenge because when you have consumers who are who are looking to these what ostensibly these sports nutrition companies and saying, naively, right? I think we all want to believe the best in in people, but you know, we have to be realistic and saying, well, they're why would they make that claim if it were harmful for me?" Why would they make that claim if it wasn't something that was going to be helpful for me? And I'm not here to dissect why certain companies choose to market their products the way that they do. But I think it's really important to remember that you as the consumer need to be very
1: careful about who you choose to give your money to. Yes, 100%. Because like you said, they're just preying on what you think you should care about. And as I tell a lot of my one-on-one nutrition clients, sometimes when we have some big unlocks or They realize something and like, wow, I never knew that about sports nutrition or nutrition in general. And this is where I like to remind everybody that um, you didn't grow up learning about nutrition. There was no nutrition education, at least, I mean, (laughs) I don't know if there is for younger generations now, but you're not an expert in this. You aren't trained to critically think about these, these things. But when it comes to anything in nutrition, especially sports nutrition, sometimes I like people to zoom out and remember that nutrition is simple, but it's also complicated. But if anything seems really gimmicky or like a fad, if it seems too good to be true or like making, like you said, some of these very large claims, kind of flashy claims of like no blood sugar crack that's where you learn to be skeptical, right? I always think about like the used car salmon kind of thought of it. <laughs> they're going to yeah. try and sell you something because they want to make money. Um, and they're going to go at kind of like all cl- all costs and really sports nutrition at the end of the day. It's not that glamorous, but all of these companies like to try, at least not all of them. I shouldn't encapsulate everybody in this But many of them try to make it look really glamorous, so you feel like, oh, well, I'm taking this, and you know, there's X, Y, or Z professional athlete who is taking these gels, so like, I want to perform like them, let me take those gels.
0: We have to remember that professional athletes make their living being sponsored by companies, right? that outside of a select few of extraordinarily high-paid athletes, right? there are a lot of really talented athletes out there who are having to take multiple product deals because that's how they are paying their mortgage or paying their rent or paying for their life, just just surviving. Um, I was thinking about this because there are you know, a couple big players, I think, in in sports nutrition, who's marketing who right now. But I wanted to ask about martin gels. Very famously, Elliot Kipchoge also uses martin gels. That was a huge get for them. Do you think that that product would be as popular as it is today if Kipchoge wasn't their like primary spokesman?
1: That's a great question. I think probably because if they didn't get him, They would get it elsewhere and they have seemed to work them work their way into very high profile races, such as the Boston marathon and automatically that's already pigeonholing those athletes into, Oh, if I want to use course support, this is what's on course. So I've learned by this point, I should train and try what's going to be on course. So yes and no. I think that was huge for it. And it's one of those ones where I seem to get mixed reviews on it. I don't like it. It's not for me. It ain't it. <laughs> but some athletes love it. Others don't. And then I'm not opposed to some of my athletes using it. Um, even sometimes when there is flashier claims about clean energy and all natural, if those products fit my athlete's carbohydrate needs, their sodium needs, it helps them get to that 60 to 90 grams of carb per hour we're aiming for wherever they fall kind of in that goal range, then I'm okay with it. Um, you know, one of my beefs with Morton is that they don't have a lot of salt in them. And I got a lot of silty sweaters, you know? Yeah, that is actually my
0: one big issue because people are looking, I think, here's the other thing, people tend to look at a product like Martin, right? This kind of like mm-hmm. really... I mean, there's a lot of cachet around the brand, right? They have Ellie Kipchoge's, but the marketing, it looks cool. Like it's sleek packaging. It's also very expensive, right? That is one of the more expensive gels I've ever mm-hmm. bought. And I keep buying it because I genuinely do like it. But it's not a complete sports nutrition package because it is very low in sodium. I don't mm-hmm. know a single runner who can get by with, it's like 35 milligrams of sodium per gel, three per hour to 75 milligrams of carbs. You're not even breaking 100 grams of uh, milligrams of sodium. like. You know, so I think people think, oh, but if Kipchoge uses it, it must have everything that I need when we just need to read the label and say not enough sodium,
1: not enough sodium. And like, it's like, it's a product that works well for people, but you'll still see on the website, natural ingredients, no preservatives, no artificial flavors or allergens. It won't get much cleaner than this. I literally just read that off their website. So it's just like, I hate that marketing because it also creates this, which could be a whole nother conversation, this elitist kind of air in the sport. And I know that's a big thing in a lot of endurance sports. And it's not the sports nutrition's company to make it, you know, a more inclusive environment, but I think it kind of creates that elitism, but also in a sport where we know there's so much disordered eating thoughts, behaviors, patterns. Do we really need (laughs) to say these things, right? There's preservatives are designed for a reason. There's preservatives in foods for a reason. And Just because it's a preservative doesn't mean that it's not like a naturally occurring compound either. So, like, yeah, no allergens. Okay, that could be helpful information for people who have allergies. Great. Peanut free,
0: probably a good thing. Yes. But there's a limit.
1: (laughs) But like, this is, but it's just also that this information is given in such a way, kind of like that tone, that air about it, that it's just like, all right. let's just like at the end of the day too, like artificial flavors, is this really where we're going to be like, is that going to make or break you in your gels? That's right? so
0: funny. I, it's funny. I'm not even, I wasn't even aware if that's how they were doing their marketing. Mm-hmm. Like it's so funny what you, because there are, there are some companies who market in a specific way that like sticks with me. Probably not probably cause I don't like the way they market them, but yeah, that, that idea that we're marketed these products as being, clean. Like, don't you want to be clean? Don't you want to be, right. you know, the best you can be and artificial dyes have no play. It's it's that it's the implicit, right? There's a lot of things that are explicit and a lot of things that are implicit, right? This is our product and it's superior because of these qualities. Therefore we're implying that products that don't have these qual- qualities are inferior. And if exactly. you use that inferior product, you're going to get inferior results or there's going you've made the wrong decision.
1: Exactly. That's what I just, am like, mm. like if this works great, like it's just, I wish I could just be a more supportive environment <laughs> and then more people come in and they, they question themselves. They're like, okay, but like, I can't eat anything processed because I'm a runner and I want to be the best and I need to look like these models on this gels website or this professional athlete who's running this way if I wanna be my best, which is absolutely not true. And that's not to blame professional athletes because they're doing their job. They have to do what they do. And you know, I'm not saying that they're implying that, but that's how sometimes these things are read, especially when there's that partnership of sports nutrition products and professional athletes. My biggest pet peeve with sports nutrition products and professional athletes is when the sports nutrition products have the professional athletes speak to the sports nutrition and they are not qualified to do so. That is my biggest pet peeve. I was like, why? Could you not get a dietitian to stand behind your product? Or it's, ooh, it hurts me.
0: (laughs) There is nothing more powerful than a celebrity endorsement for a product, right? Yeah. You get a big person, and we said for Martin, right? They got Kipchoge, right? I mean, would that would they have been as popular? Maybe not, but the reason I know about them is because they were they had his face all over their marketing, you know, starting a couple of years ago. And I was like, oh my God, what is this brand, right? I have to check it out. Kipchoge uses it. It must be the best because he's the best. So when we look at these professional athletes who are signed- two endorsement deals with other sports nutrition companies, right? What are we what do we think? Oh, this person is fast and they use this product. Therefore, this product is helping make them fast. Right? Yep. And 100% There are a lot of things that go on behind the scenes in the way that those deals are struck between the company and the athlete in terms of how often the athlete will be promoting the product, what language they are being told to use, if they are given specific talking points, if they are being told to post or speak to their product at a certain frequency, if they're supposed to be wearing gear or other things like visible with the brand marketing. Like you have to remember that your favorite professional athlete might say that they use XYZ product. And sure, they might use that in part of their training, but they also might be using other stuff that they're simply just not talking
1: about. Yes, 100%, 100%. And honestly, this is one of the things like ethically as a dietitian. I'm not, I mean, I've got a Scratch Labs discount code, but (laughs) (laughs) who doesn't? And that's what I use now that I've retired from Ironman and don't have to use Gatorade Endurance. But to me, it's it's very important to me that I kind of stay this unbiased, unattached to like not sign into any deal where I've got to post about a certain company a couple times a month. Scratch Labs works for a lot of my athletes. And I'm like, great, if this works for you, you like the taste, you like the flavor, here you go. Here's a discount code, boom. But otherwise, beyond that, I try very hard to be that unbiased, open-minded There's a few non-negotiables when it comes to sports nutrition products that I tell my clients, but otherwise the way I see it, my job, especially in the one-on-one situation is ethically to look, my number one goal always is health, right? Always going to be health, keeping you safe, keeping you healthy. But then also you are grown adults. You are allowed to have preferences. (laughs) You are allowed to like different fruits and different vegetables, but also it comes to sports nutrition products. So then it's my job to be like all right elizabeth we have tried these sports nutrition products these are the ones that work for you let's come up with a fueling plan that is going to help you hit your individualized fueling goals so you can perform your best feel your best recover your best and go from there so yes it's very flashy to see your professionals <laughs> using uh certain sports nutrition products but and then i know a lot of other great sports dietitians you know, have the same thought process and approach that like you can, can come up with a plan that works best for you and what that professional athlete is using may not be the best for you. And that's okay. We also don't,
0: and I think this is really important to remember. Um, we don't know exactly what the pros are really doing. We think we do because they talk about some of what they're doing and some pros are more transparent about the process than others, but we never fully know what an athlete is actually doing moment to moment, day to day in terms of their actual training, their actual fueling, their actual recovery. Um, so what we tend to do is make our brains fill in the gaps and we tend to make a lot of assumptions. We think that we know, Oh, we know that this athlete uses this sports product and is sponsored by this shoe company. And they live in this, you know, they live in Flagstaff and, uh, because like everybody lives in Flagstaff now. Uh, and, and I know that they train with this group and they posted that they were on this trail run and they ran these splits for that marathon pace workout. I therefore think I know what this athlete is doing. Right. And you actually don't. You mm-hmm. actually don't know what they're doing, um, and I'll—I I just remember when when Nike came out with their vapor flies with the first first generation of carbon plated shoes. Remember, you had a whole ton of athletes who basically either wore the shoes with tape over the logo or like went unsigned so they could race in Vaporflies and like weren't talking about it. Like you think you know what your your favorite athletes are doing, but you don't. Um, and so we have to remember that. When we are looking up to these athletes, just like you don't know really what's going on behind the scenes, and anybody else is like, you don't actually know what's going on behind the scenes in theirs, and maybe be making decisions about the things that they are doing or not doing that are different from the things they're telling you that they're doing.
1: Yes, a hundred percent. It's kind of like the comparison is a thief of thief of joy, right? You don't know. And even when it comes to maybe that person you follow on Instagram and like, oh, but they're doing this and they ran this PR and I want that. You don't know. And then it just comes down to each individual is unique in how they work with their coach on their training plan or they work with a dietitian on their fueling or what their life schedule is like and what other stress. There's so many things that come into play um in the big picture of how someone performs or feels or recovers or you know hits those workouts that i think sometimes it's easy to focus on things like sports nutrition products and like what somebody else is using rather than focus on you know things that we all might need to work on as an athlete like full disclosure i hate threshold work <laughs> And I hate it. And I've I saw your it. Uh, your your field
0: test from uh, from recently. You did a nice little thirty minute time trial. It did not go well. It Did not go well.
1: <laughs> and I'm sitting here, and I was like, Well, I really want a PR by half marathon this year, right? We really want a PR. This is this is my goal under one forty. My PR is one forty oh one, and it's been haunting me. I know haunting me. But I have to have that honest conversation with myself that I hate threshold work. And no gel or shoe <laughs> is going to change that, that I just need to be honest with my coach and talk to her and be like, yeah, I got to work on this. So sometimes it's easier to focus on, oh, well, maybe it was my shoes or <laughs> maybe I should have used a gel with caffeine. And I finally had that. It was like, nope, recovery is good. Fueling is good. You know, I just, I'm just mentally, like a lot of it is mindset work and I got to be better at that threshold work. So sometimes I think, those kind of more superficial things like what gel you're using is easier for all of us to focus on versus Mm -hmm. where we need to dive a little bit deeper, whether it's mindset or how we approach our training or recovery. I often see
0: athletes trying to figure out how little they can get away with fueling. They're like, oh, but if I choose the slow carb option, I can I can eat less because I'll have sustained energy for longer, which is just like a a pool of buzzwords that we threw into a blender and then came out, you know, with this, um, that they have been marketed towards, right? Mm -hmm. And this, this comes from like a bunch of different places. And I'm a woman who lives in the U.S. in the 21st century, right? So I understand the pressures of this weird wellness sphere influence this whole you know this you know an aesthetic influence right we should be striving to look a certain way and then I have the performance influence right I'm like oh but I should be fueling so you know I think it's very common in our minds kind of have like this weird, weird kind of, um, amalgamation of all these beliefs that come from different areas that ends up looking something like, okay, I know I need to fuel, but I think that sugar is bad. But if I eat the slow carbs, I'll have sustained energy. So my blood sugar doesn't spike. Mm -hmm. And then we get into these situations where somebody is, you know, being appealed to by a sport nutrition company that promises slow carbs. So you can eat fewer of them. So you can have lasting energy, you know? So then we're not even eating enough, mm-hmm. and it's just you know. First and foremost, I think what you said exactly right. You know, it's going to depend on the person and their preferences and their likes and dislikes and what they tolerate and can't tolerate, and all of this. But if you're not if you're not getting enough, it doesn't
1: really matter where it's coming from. Such a great point! Such a great point. Let's say it louder for the people in the back. If you're not getting enough, it doesn't matter where it's coming from. Just sit with that for a second. Um, It's it's kind of like when I think about the sports nutrition hierarchy. I wrote a newsletter about this a couple weeks ago. It was about creatine supplementation because it's always a hot hot topic. But basically, if you're not doing the basics, if you're not fueling before your workouts, if you're not hydrated during the day, if you're trying to, like you said, and I think I've done some reels on this where. There's no prize for eating as little as possible during your runs or at snacks or at meals. Like, some people try so hard <laughs> to get away with the bare minimum, and there is absolutely no award for it. You're only going to dig yourself into a deeper hole by doing the bare minimum. Like, where in life has the bare minimum really set anyone up to knock any goals out of the park? I mean, for me, it was always math class. I hated math. (laughs) No one told me how much math I was going to do as a dietitian though. That's, you know, it's, I never was the best in math and I never had the best grades in math because I just did the bare minimum to get by. Same with fueling that fueling before, during, after it all adds up. It's all pieces of the bigger puzzle. And again, you can get consume lots of great information on the internet at how much you should be fueling. It's no secret. 60 to 90 grams of carbs if we're looking over that two-hour mark. Honestly, I make most of my athletes, if we're at an hour, you're doing at least 60 grams of carbs. So I don't don't let people (laughs) buy because those intra-workout carbs are not only going to help you perform better in that workout, which we're all busy. We're not professionals. This is all something we do for fun, and we're taking time out of our busy lives, whether it's away from family, friends, school, community, work, whatever your other commitments are why not at least fuel ourselves to show up the best possible way we can for our workouts that we're taking all of this precious time out of our life for one but then it's also going to help you recover better those inter-workout carbs help recovery and while those 60 to 90 grams of carb are important it's also zooming out and taking that thirty thousand foot view. Again, lots of things I do with my one on one clients. If you try to do the bare minimum on Monday's recovery run, and you have tempo work on Wednesday, and you do the don't eat before, bare minimum during, half half acid recovery afterwards. Okay, you're fine on Tuesday, but you're shot for that Wednesday tempo run. What you're doing each day adds up to the bigger picture. And it also is going to impact you further down the line in those workouts. So this is why we fuel before easy runs. This is why I say that hour mark, 60 grams of carbs, boom. Because most runners, you're training you know, a decent amount throughout the week. We have, as athletes and active individuals, just overall higher needs than the average bear, as I like to say it. Because also, again, most of us are very busy in addition to our workouts, doing other things. <laughs> so we have a lot of energy, not just energy demands, but also macronutrients, micronutrients, etc. Could be a whole nother podcast. I'm sure you already have an episode on it. But when we look at fueling as our workouts is a way to, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to set ourselves up for success, to stay healthy, right? I have a lot of people come to me with some serious injuries because they've been, unbeknownst to them under fueling under eating for a very long time and some people will be like oh well i was fine for like two years i did two ironmans i did these marathons sometimes it takes a very long ass time to show up oh and this is where everybody's different you might see your favorite professional athlete lay their flat runner this is another pet peeve of people doing flat runners and they're running a marathon they got like four gels And I was like, I hope you're taking some off the course. (laughs) I eat four gels in an hour, 45, half marathon. So So it's just looking – that's also the comparison thing. Some things catch up, like under-fueling, under-eating, under-recovery, will catch up with one athlete a lot faster than the other. It's just, you know, that's kind of where the genetics factors come in, how you're training, how you're balancing your training load. And everybody just has different levels of resiliency. So – It's hard to do that comparison. Resiliency has kind of been my theme of building it over the last year. Um, So you're not digging yourself in a hole and you can bounce back and come back stronger. I think also too, something I see with a lot of clients is that They'll start fueling their workouts and their runs, and then like one day like life will happen, right? And they'll forget, or they don't have fuel, and they'll comment and be like, oh, man, I felt so bad. I don't know how I used to do this all the time, right? So, And understand that there's, of course, a lot of complexities. That's also what I tell a lot of people. Nutrition, simple but complex. It's one of those things where, unlike other, um, I guess you could say, I don't want to go – uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Like other things, right? Like um, if you are struggling with an addiction with alcohol, we'll just use that. You don't need alcohol to survive, right? But if you're struggling with the mental aspect of food and diet culture is telling you carbs are bad and you're saying I should have this slow carbohydrate and maybe there's family or societal pressures or economic pressures around how you go about your day-to-day life around nutrition... Nutrition stuff is very deep, deep layers into our childhood, into how we were raised, what we were told, what we hear, what we see. So it runs so much deeper than many other things in our lives, these beliefs we have around nutrition that a lot of people don't realize how much it has impacted them until something turns up and they're like, oh, I have this horrible stress fracture. I had, a, I had a stress fracture in the neck of my femur, my right hip, when I was, oh man, it was 2011. And it was like my second year running marathons, and I was well underfueled. And it was because I didn't know. I just didn't know any better. And I was kind of given connotations and feedback from people in my life, oh, you're eating again, oh, you're eating again, you're eating again. So to me, I, it created this complex, like, okay, like, I guess I can't, I can't eat because I'm just going to be questioned why I'm having a, another snack. And then it wound up to this horrible hip fracture <laughs> and I couldn't run for 10 weeks. And that was my, like, boom, boom, boom. Where my? Where's all the sports nutrition products I need? Who do I need around me to help support me so I can learn and, like, not wind up with a horrible bone injury again and, like, knock on wood? I have been healthy since. (laughs) But it was learning from that big, hard feedback and just, you know, there wasn't Instagram with all of these great sports dietitians (laughs) giving out all this great, great uh, information. So.
0: I think it's also hard sometimes to differentiate between, you know, when people are being marketed to, especially people who live in a, in a larger body, right? That they are being marketed to constantly about how to lose weight and weight loss and move more and eat less, you know? And I work with clients of all sizes and plenty of marathoners who, you know, are fueling their bodies, working with dietitians, right? Fueling their bodies successfully, right? We're working on their endurance. We're trying to, you know, we're working on improving performance and they go to the doctor and the doctor says, you need to lose weight. You should try intermittent fasting and I want you to move. Move more and I'm like they're already running 40 miles a week like what else do you want them to do right they're supposed yeah. to eat less on this how is that going to help them so it's not even that sports marketing is necessarily putting weird pressure on certain ways but it's like how we how society in general views what they think people should be
1: doing yes 100 percent. and this is where I just always plug doctors are great at being doctors they are not dietitians They should not be doling out nutrition advice. They still were. They still will. (laughs) My rheumatologist tried to give me nutrition advice. She also told me to do less. And I was like, okay, well, that's not really helpful. Um, But, yeah, there's there's that pressure. And it's just one of those kind of voices in things that we hear that I hope those who might be – in a negative headspace about their body or being in a larger body and they're not comfortable with it and they feel these pressures, that they have positive voices like you and other coaches and other dietitians saying, hey, what you're doing is great. The size of your body, the number on the scale does not define who you are. It is actually the least interesting thing about you. This is why I tell my clients, I I don't really, I don't care. Like this is the least interesting thing about you. Health is always first. You want to do these extraordinary things. This is awesome, but we need to make sure we're giving your body the resources it needs to function properly, A, just by itself. (laughs) There's a lot of very energy-demanding processes to just be a living human, but then we're going to add in 40 miles of running a week and some strength training, Oh, and don't remember and don't forget, like you gotta run around and take your kids to practice. And you are maybe you're taking a night class and you're in grad school. People forget how much mental work has a high energy demand. So this is something I really drive home with my student athletes is that yeah, like finals week, like that's a big demand on you. And you're also trying to do all of your training. So you better have some big recovery and big nutrition plan set up. So it's all of those factors that which again, doctors are great at being doctors, or other medical professionals, or somebody on Facebook who doesn't know what they're talking about. But <laughs> there's so many other demands that at least I know lots of great coaches and dietitians can help you see that okay, you are a very uh, like active human, and you need to fuel your body to exist
0: and thrive and be awesome. Boom. It's not about surviving. It's about thriving. That's right. Yeah. So I want to talk about electrolytes in a minute. But first, hold on. I'm going to reach behind me into my crystal vase of sport gels. So I want to talk about how to choose the right one for you in terms of your basic needs. Mm-hmm. And I'm so going to pull it. So a here's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, We've mentioned a couple brands. We've mentioned a couple brands that I think, uh, that we, the minimum, I mean, like or, are find pretty good. I'm also going to mention, I, I use Goo a lot in my training. I have zero, uh, sponsorships or affiliations to any sort of sport nutrition product. So, um, but I like, I like Goo a lot and I use it a lot. But one thing that I want to say specifically, and this is like one of the things where it's like the product can be amazing and work for you, but the marketing can still be weird. So on the back of my goo, and I'm holding up in front of the camera, it says five before every 45 and hydrate along the way. So it's the, so this goo, this product is telling me that I should, uh, I should have one five minutes before I start my activity and every 45 minutes during my activity and with hydration. Um, that's not enough (laughs) for me. Sure is not. Um, And I'm like, I want to write to these people and say, you know, you would sell more if you told them to eat more (laughs) because I can't tell you. And I, you know, and I'm a coach. I'm not a dietitian, but I do talk with basic nutrition with people on a very regular basis. And they say, well, I'm just following the instructions. I got, I got a box of goo at my local running store and it said on the goo or whatever the thing is to take one every 45 minutes. So That's what I've been doing. That's not enough. (laughs) Not enough. 100% not enough. So when we are looking, critically evaluating whether a sport nutrition product might be useful for us, what are the key things we should be looking for when we are examining what the properties of this product are?
1: Yes. So carbohydrates is always where I go first. I want to see how many grams of carbohydrates. Typically, I say over 20 grams of carbohydrate, 20 to 30. Each person is going to be different. Um, And that's per... per individual serving per individual serving yes um 20 to 30 and then i'm looking at sodium because i want to make sure we're getting a decent like kind of when we spoke about the morton i always tell people who want to use morton that's fine works for you great we're gonna have to come up with a game plan for your salt and of course there's um sports nutrition products that are salt-only options that we can just work into the plan. I was like, you're just going to have to think a little bit more, carry another thing. It's not the end of the world. And most people are fine with it. Um, but sodium, I like the heavy hitters. But typically I'm looking for at least 80 milligrams of sodium for thinking about just, like, all-encompassing for everybody. If you know you're a person with higher sodium needs, your life will be easier if you pick a higher sodium job. Um... The highest ones I see are right around 240, and I think those are the Huma Plus. There might be some I might be missing that might be a touch higher. Um, I use a Huma Plus because I like 240 milligrams of sodium. I don't have to worry too much about getting more sodium, um, but that's all kind of determined your sodium needs. Will be determined, um, best determined from doing a sweat test, figuring out what your sweat, sweat rate is per hour, and then looking at, okay, s- sodium losses per hour, You can do at-home tests to do that. Like there's Gatorade patches. I know there's a company called Levelin. There's precision hydration. There's even now like the NYX sensor that you can check like your hydration during a workout, wear it, I have not trialed that. I just use quick and dirty equations of assuming I'm losing um, one gram of sodium per liter of sweat loss is kind of what I use. Um, Most people, I typically don't have anyone do under 500 milligrams an hour is just a very broad, general, not personal advice, but just if we're thinking in context, like quick and dirty, uh, of course, heat, humidity, conditions will increase that. If it's a very humid day, you're going to need more sodium. Um, And so that's another big one I look at. And then I usually take a quick look at, oh, what are the ingredients? Um, Not in any sort of fear-mongering kind of way, but I wanna see what are my carbohydrate sources and just making sure there's multiple on there, which I was I was mentioning earlier um, to Elizabeth that I have not seen a sports nutrition product on the market now that doesn't have two sources of simple carbohydrate in it. So that's usually not a big concern anymore um, to look and at. And also, I think it's important to remember that you
0: you know the ingredients list on any product is like there are a billion different ways to call the same thing sometimes. Um, but so I'm, I'm just using my example gel, right? It's the one in front of me. And I have the ingredients here, maltodextrin, right? Mm -hmm. That's a carbohydrate water. We all know what water is fructose. That's a carbohydrate. So I have two separate sources of carbohydrates. We talk about multiple sources of carbohydrates. Somebody asked me this once they're like, does that mean I have to have two different, like two different flavors or two different, like a gel and a chew? I was like, no, it's literally like different molecule types of carbohydrate, multiple sources of carbohydrate.
1: Yes. Great point. Um, making sure when we're looking at those carbohydrate goals, having those multiple sources means we're using different metabolic pathways, slightly different to break them down. I always think of like the traffic jam, right? We got one source. It's like one expressway into the city. You're going to be able to take in less and then things are going to get jammed up. We have two to three sources. We have multiple expressways into the city and traffic and or carbohydrates are going to work their way through the system a little bit better. So I look at that. And then my one big where I'm real stingy in my gels is if there's artificial sweeteners and gels. Um, that to me is a hard stop on sports nutrition products. I know some dietitians may not be as stingy, but I'm pretty stingy. So looking for things like stevia, erythritol, um, there are different extracts of stevia that you might see in a different way. But usually it's, it's, um will be, if they're doing a different form of it, they'll list it as stevia, like in parentheses. Um, monk fruit extract, did I already say that? I don't know if I did, but I just want to <laughs> reiterate. Those are the big artificial sweeteners I see and use in some sport gels. Um, other artificial sweeteners could be um, um, fructose, isomalt, saccharin, xylitol, Molotol, aspartame, sucralose. I know a lot of funny words. Allulose? Allulose, Allulose is, is a newer one. Yep, that's definitely a newer one. I know I have seen a gel that uses it. Um, and basically why I'm stingy about this is goes back to that whole log. Like We almost spend an hour talking about how important sugar is during workouts. It's your body's preferred source of fuel. We don't want a sugar substitute, right? That defeats the purpose. Even if it's... I've, when I see it in gels, they have it in addition to carbohydrate, but we don't need it in our gels. We don't want it there. It's not doing us anything good. Um, it also, in some people, some people are more sensitive to artificial sweeteners and sensitive in potential for GI upset. So that's the last thing we want when we're running, right? So you want to avoid that. And just overall... You know, again, I don't like to demonize or fearmonger anything, but artificial sweeteners are, are compounds that are showing up just a lot more frequently in a lot of foods like yogurt. Um, I saw it a lot in recently when I was looking at the grocery store, yogurts, different yogurts. And it's just something that we want to make sure we're just not overdoing it um, when it comes to the artificial sweeteners in our lives. I think it's interesting I've noticed this more
0: on on products that are trying to kind of do that crossover into being a mainstream product that isn't marketed specifically towards endurance athletes is that those products tend to be more on the more likely to contain artificial sweeteners right because it's one thing to target our endurance athletic community you know but and and so we're we're pretty big spenders, right? Ask anybody how much a race costs these days, and we willingly shell out for that and the shoes and the travel and the, all that, right? Um, <laughs> but we're still a relatively small segment of the population, right? So if you can, if you are a sports marketer and you are taking your niche product and wondering how you can get everybody else to buy it, right? What is what are the trends? We talk about you know uh, marketing is trendy, what goes with cultural trends, and right now we are taking the sugar out of a lot of things. I'm, we're not here to comment on the role of sugar in the standard American diet. We're specifically talking about where, why endurance athletes need it. But if you are using a product that is marketed towards people in general and not specifically towards the endurance athletic community, um, it may contain things that are not going to be helpful for you as an athlete.
1: 100%. And that's where like the lines get crossed real easy and I think sometimes if that's what a runner is consuming in the marketing is that is perpetuating and continuing to create these fears because they're kind of going for the whole wellness fit influencer field, which in some aspects they do also exercise a lot, so they should be taking in carbohydrates. But again, that's another <laughs> that's another story for another day. So Again, like none of it is ever really to fault anyone because again, like you said, this is what they get paid to do. They're marketers, right? Preying on our fears. We'll
0: talk about electrolyte products. I've seen a couple and actually I want to, I want to talk about (laughs) where this is coming. I was recently in London and I was on the tube and you know, it's like the subway, you got ads, right? And uh, I looked up and there is this ad for an iron supplement. And the marketing accompanying this advertisement for an iron supplement promised to boost your energy. And I thought, well, that's a complicated path from A to B. And I was surprised, to be honest with you, I was surprised that they could even get away with making that claim. But I think there is a similar a similar way that um, electrolytes are marketed to us, especially here in the States, that their electrolytes will provide you energy or Mm -hmm. caffeine products will provide you energy. And I view those claims kind of in the same bucket as the iron supplement will provide me energy. Like I technically know what what you're trying to say, but the way you're saying it is actually false. Yes. And that's a really funky place to be. (laughs) (laughs) Like,
1: I see where you're going, but also, (laughs) yes, 100%. I mean, that at, like, the end of the day, I know this isn't electrolyte beverages in particular, but, like, pre-workouts, right, for energy, caffeine for energy. Yes, those will give you energy, but, like, most of the time, you just need actual energy, like, calories to take in to get energy, you know like that will make you feel better for the most part i always tell my clients that right you feel that afternoon energy slump when was the last time you ate have a snack oh do you feel better most of the time yes because you gave your body energy i mean sometimes that, that's even a thought process i have um but going to the electrolyte marketing of these products i am thinking one off the top of my head paleo gluten-free keto friendly like i'm like oh cringe um <laughs> Well, these products, the marketing really don't love it um, because it's so praying. That being said, can people benefit from electrolytes? Absolutely. Um, Can people also benefit probably from just like drinking more water and liquids in their day and not running around dehydrated? Absolutely. So it's kind of one of those critical thinking things. Okay. Is it the electrolytes making you feel better? Maybe it is. Maybe you do need to focus on electrolyte replacement, or are you now just drinking more water and more fluids because you have electrolytes in them and it has a little bit of flavor and it's kind of one of those things, is it the chicken or the egg, right? You don't know exactly which is making you feel better. Um, For people who are sweating regularly, of course, adding some electrolytes in is going to be beneficial, but this is also why we have sports nutrition products. That we take during our workouts that being said you still will likely need to replace some electrolytes after but it always doesn't have to be from some fancy drink um i always think of milk i'm a big milk fan come at me love dairy (laughs) i know not everybody tolerates it but you can get lots of electrolytes naturally occurring some great milk use chocolate milk part of your recovery drink you're just like full circle right there um for my saltier sweaters or heavier sweaters during like the summer months maybe some electrolytes during the day like liquid iv is one i have a lot of people use noon's another one yeah that can be beneficial but no one thing is going to absolutely change your life and if you're a runner salt your food (laughs) 95% In yeah 95% of the situation salt your food
0: <laughs> say my favorite electrolyte replacement so out so in in runs so i use i use high sodium gels um, mm-hmm. cuz they're so convenient right most of the time you know salted lime goo oh god it's an absolute godsend um but i also use salt sit caps in runs right but they're expensive you know what else is a great source of salt salt <laughs> Salt the packets. salt and in, salt in it you find in your kitchen, and guess what? It is dirt cheap, right? So you do not necessarily have to spend three dollars a sachet on fancy salt products when you can buy a pound of salt for like two dollars, and it'll last you for ten years. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, don't go, don't go overboard, don't go tablespoons, right? But it is the best source, right? And yeah, you can get fancy with it. You can get like, you know, the the real salt with the, I don't know, whatever minerals like it, or you can use the salt that you currently have. But yeah, if you are looking for a cost-effective way to add electrolytes into your daily diet, you already have it in your kitchen.
1: Yeah, 100%. That reminds me one time I was on a like 19 mile run and I forgot my salt that I just like ran to a gas station and took the salt packets. It was so humid, and I was so desperate. I was like, give me your salt packets. I'll give you money. <laughs> That's what I thought of. And also, i to pay him. Right? I was like, he was like, just take them Like, and get out of my store. Get yeah,
0: out of my store, you crazy woman.
1: <laughs> You're insane. Um, but, yeah, it's as simple as that. Adding a little saltier foods, salty snacks, pretzels, salty trail mix um, hydrating foods too. You know, there are certain foods that contain more water thinking cucumbers. It's almost summer. It's watermelon season. Your melon's going to have more. So it doesn't have to be fancy, complicated, really expensive, um, packets of electrolytes to be replaced. Sometimes, I mean, a lot of times I'm just using a scoop of the sports drink. I use like a scratch, scoop of scratch. That's mm-hmm. what I use. If you like talent, use that. If you like whatever uh, floats your boat for your sports drink, if you are training for a half marathon marathon 10k you're running over 20 miles a week a scoop of scratch here and there during the day is not going to be the end of the world it's probably going to make you feel better (laughs) to get some of those electrolytes on board so you don't have to really be alarmed with this you know keto paleo yada yada nonsense when it comes to electrolytes again simple don't overcomplicate it (laughs)
0: And lastly, I know we said we touch on those kind of those extra type things that one can find to supplement uh, what you may or may not already be doing. You mentioned creatine. I know there's a whole wealth of research that supports the how beneficial supplementing creatine can be for endurance athletes, not just for people who are you know, power lifters. Um, but there are a whole bunch of other, shall we say, products of more dubious claim out there in the order of like this would be a beneficial thing to spend your money on all the way to please don't buy this. You were just set your money on fire instead. Um, Talk about some of the things that you regularly hear from your clients when they bring up those types of products and what you would recommend.
1: Yeah, that's a great, great question. Most of my one one clients know what my answer will be, but (laughs) typically I start with, no, you're not eating enough and we're not getting enough protein. So We're not talking about creatine. We're not talking about this. Somebody brings, maybe someone brings a pre-workout drink to me. And I say, okay, but maybe if you ate more energy, calories, more fuel, you don't need this pre-workout. If you need pre-workout to get up and absolutely do your workout, to have the energy to do it, maybe we need to talk about rest. Maybe we need to look and say, are you too fatigued? Are you too depleted? that we need to revisit that with your coach and we need to look at your training schedule. Um, if people need a little bit of pick-me-up before workout, I usually just tell them have a little coffee or tea, right? A little caffeine, nothing crazy. Um, but if it's something you consistently need, it's kind of just like when I talk about just coffee or caffeine in general with any anyone or any client. It's like, okay, is like what's the relationship with it? Are you 100% dependent on it? this is a red flag, like, boom, we need to revisit this. Um, other things that people ask me about, protein powders, I usually am pretty on board as long as we're looking at a quality third-party tested product as a tool and toolkit, right? If we're relying on it, <laughs> For half of our protein intake during the day, that's where we're going to revisit the basics. But usually protein powder, I am pretty on board with, again, as long as it's a solid product because, it's, again, it can be helpful. We're in a pinch. Let me get some extra protein in. Boom. Put it in a smoothie. Mix it with some chocolate milk, however the person wants to take it. Mix it in their oatmeal. Um, it can be a really useful tool. So I would say that's one of the biggest ones. Um, collagen, I typically – I hear about that a lot, but I typically only use collagen if we're dealing with some sort of tendon or ligament injury and using it um, before workouts if we're dealing with um, one of those injuries in particular, rehabbing back, coming back from it, or if we have a history of those injuries. The thing with collagen is there's a lot of research around it, but all of the claims, and I look particularly in the strengths um, – you know, use around strength and resistance training, um, joint, tendon, ligament health. It's all, all of the results are, it may help, right? So it might help, but we can't be 100% sure. Um, so that's why I usually use it in injury protocols. I love tart cherry juice. One I was
0: gonna of say, the things oh, about, about
1: collagen, yes. I think one of the misconceptions about collagen is that it is a protein supplement. It is not, yes. But it is a common misconception. It's not a complete protein. Thank you for bringing that point up because, yes, usually when I lead in with people, like, okay, this is – Actually, somebody just asked me about a protein kombucha drink, and she's like, what do you think? And I was like, all of the protein – 15 grams of protein is coming from collagen. That's not a complete protein. Don't waste your money, right? And then there was artificial sweeteners, and I was like
0: "Um, – Kombucha? Ah, no. Got to get that good ferment on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right? We need all those good gut buggies. Anyways – So that's usually my stance on collagen, tart cherry juice. I love to use, um, with people. I don't, I mean, I guess you couldn't, it's not technically a supplement. I'm sure you could probably buy it in a pill form, but I think when we're looking at fine tuning, like kind of looking at that hierarchy, okay, we're getting adequate energy, we're fueling our workouts, we're eating enough carbohydrate and protein after our workouts, What's something else we can kind of add in? Tart cherry juice is another one um, I have people consider. It has been shown to have anti-inflammatory properties. For some of my poor sleepers, it could potentially help um, increase melatonin, natural melatonin production, and can help some of the poor sleepers. But at the end of the day, it's an antioxidant-rich juice that if people find it helps them recover a little bit better after hard efforts, we incorporate that in, or if they're in an injury protocol. Um, So those are some of the top things. I'm sure there's more. People ask me about branched chain amino acids. I'm typically going back to, are you eating enough protein? The answer is usually no. (laughs) The interesting thing about branched chain amino acids
0: and, you know, and I, there's some really interesting stuff about, when you supplement with branched-chain amino acids in in session as intra-workout, there may yes. be some research that helps reduce perceived exertion. Yep. but that is entirely separate from I'm going to take a bunch of branched-chain amino acids because I think it's going to make my biceps bulgy. It doesn't matter how many branched-chain amino acids that you supplement with if you're not eating enough protein, because the whole muscle growy benefits are from the complete protein, not the branched-chain amino acids.
1: Exactly. Yep. Yep. And typically, you know, if there is someone who's eating enough protein, eating enough overall energy, kind of getting the rest of those um, necessities checked off the list, like during workout, post-workout, that could be something where some people it's like, okay, is this third party tested? How are we taking it? How much are you spending on it? I would rather most people eat real food because you can get these from food. Um, (laughs) That... If they want to try it and they notice a difference, great. If they don't, but you got to check all those other boxes for me on that one first. Of course, in like ultra, ultra endurance events, you know, once in a while I've had use branch chain amino acids in ultra endurance events because it can be beneficial in those very, very long events. That would be kind of like one of those outliers, Um, but otherwise... Like I said, you got to check but that's all those essentially, boxes.
0: that's like essentially to prevent extreme catabolism, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> So your like, body can completely break down. <laughs> right? Like, please yeah. don't take what we have. This isn't about growing anything. This is like, please leave the muscles that we have alone. Please don't eat them for fuel. <laughs>
1: exactly. Basically. Yes. That's one of yeah. the outliers, right? Lots of nuances in sports nutrition people. Yeah. <laughs> All
0: right. So if we were to sum up this conversation, which I honestly feel like we could probably just keep going because why not? Because this is fun. Um, Think critically about who is pitching something to you, why why they're making this claim, and if what they're saying backs up with what you have heard from credentialed, experienced sports dietitians or other master's level or higher nutrition professionals... And if it makes sense to you, right? So like, I think this is really tough too, because like our brains love novelty and we, I'm not going to lie, we're all very lazy. The human brain literally developed to be lazy, to take shortcuts, to like, to find the easiest way to do something, right? Think about who we are as a species, right? We get to kind of sit down and do nothing most days if we really wanted to, um, no other, you know, no other species on the planet is really like that, that, If somebody is, if you come across a targeted ad in your Instagram feed or on Facebook or on TikTok or wherever, and somebody's making a claim to you that sounds too good to be true, take a real hard look at that claim. Think critically. Reach out to somebody whose opinion you respect about whether there's any validity behind what this claim is. Don't just hand over your money looking for that perfect quick fix.
1: 100%. Nailed it. Couldn't agree more. And also eat more carbs. (laughs) Yeah, uh, the answer is always carbs. I should have worn my queen of carbs shirt today. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, thank you so much for being here today. This is absolutely fabulous. Um, I hope hope that we get to talk again on a future episode. But tell us what you are up to and if people are interested and they are like, oh my god, she knows exactly what she's talking about. I got to tap her brain and work with her. What are you offering these days?
1: Yeah, thanks so much. I hope to come back again. Glad to be here always. Um, so yeah, so one-on-one coaching is always available um, if you want like the highest level of support. You want to? We're in it together. Deep dive. We're going deep into all of it: the feelings, the food, the fueling, and your girl. Um, also, launching soon, probably by the time this podcast is live, I am offering a membership option. Um, for people who are like, yeah, I want to tap into her, but you know, I'm balling on a budget, right? I can't invest the time, the money full on into one-on-one coaching, but I still want a little bit of access to CV to ask questions, but you also like community. So it is going to be called the keep it real collaborative, because if you haven't noticed, (laughs) I really like to keep it real. Um, so, this is going to involve space where you can have your questions answered, but also get community support from like minded athletes, one on one clients I've worked with. You can all bounce ideas off each other and myself, ask all of your questions. You'll also get some access to master classes where you can learn a little bit more, um, kind of honed in topics. And my next master class in June is going to be all about ignoring your thermostat. So we're gonna dive into some thyroid stuff, baby. Yes. That's so cool. Learning how to get the resources that support your most basic functions and then all of the awesome stuff we wanna do on top. I just really struggled with some thyroid stuff myself. So I am excited to dive into that. So that's gonna be June 20th. Um, but if you want to join the keep it real collaboratives, or just join the masterclass, you can do that all separately. Learn more about one-on-one, me, my dog. You can follow me on Instagram at Stevie Linlin, or you can head to my website at StevieLinRD.com, and that'll be linked below in the show notes. If you're
0: not following Stevie, you totally should. She's also awesome in real life, and if you haven't listened to the episode we did back in season two, you should, because she talks about like I don't know working with Chalene Flanagan, which is pretty awesome. Uh, thank you so much for being here. This is great. Yeah, thanks again.